Let's pray once again. Father, we do thank you. Thank you for the life that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hope that we have for eternity. Thank you for the joy that it will be one day when we get to sit around and talk with those saints of old. Those men and women, those boys and girls who have gone before, who've endured trials and suffering, who've seen you work in wonderful ways. God, we thank you for for including some of those stories in your word. Things that we can read and learn from and be encouraged by and challenged by. And so, God, I pray that as we open your word today, you would help us. Help us to understand you. Help us to understand how you're working and how you would have us walk in truth. Speak by your word and by your spirit, I pray. Lord, we are listening. Amen. Amen. Well, in 1859, Charles Dickens wrote a book that many of you probably had to read in high school or middle school entitled The Tale of Two Cities. It's been made into a movie, and it it probably begins with some of the most famous lines of any book ever written. And it begins this way. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that in some of its noisiest authorities, that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. You see, these extremes that Dickens describes seem at once contradictory and yet they're in some ways illuminating. Because I think in every circumstance of life, there are those elements, there are those things that seem good and right and true. And then in that very same time, there are those things that seem so dark and dismal and despairing. Things filled with wisdom and things filled with foolishness. And I think we find that today. I mean, we've lived through that. We're still kind of dealing with the after effects of this pandemic. And when you think about the way that it has caused some people to thrive and some people to squander, some people just to, to, to have great success and other people to be in utter despair. Businesses, individuals, churches, even government agencies have all been affected differently by this. We see the good and the bad all at the same time in the midst of this pandemic. But I think we also see some of these contrasts in the first century churches as some people demonstrated the graciousness of biblical community while others simply acted selfishly. And so today, as we look at this tiny letter of 3 John, we're going to encounter the tale of two Christians. 
tale of two completely different Christians. So if you have your copy of God's Word and would like to open to that, it is the third to last book of the Bible. Start in Revelation, flip a page forward to Jude, flip a page forward before that to Third John. I see over the last couple of weeks, as we've considered the first two letters of John, we've been able to glean a bit of insight into what this first century church was enduring. You see, some of these wrestled with pressures from the outside and conflict from within as they sought to live in light of the truth and in in the love of God. And here in the third letter, John, in some ways he gets very specific, but there's a lot that John doesn't say. Because this is a very personal letter to one man, a man named Gaius. And we don't know much about Gaius because his name comes up actually several times in in the New Testament. But we see about four or five different Gaiuses. So we don't know which one he's talking to, and it may not be any of those. But it seems that he was faithful And walking with the Lord. And it seems that the purpose of John's letter here is to both, is to encourage Gaius to keep doing what he is doing, to keep on going in the good work. Because I don't know if you guys have ever encountered this, sometimes the good things that we're doing can be so frustrating. It can, we can become weary. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, do not become weary in doing good. And so it's like John is saying, hey, keep going. Let me encourage you. You're doing a great work. But he also needs to communicate in this letter his concern over another Christian, a man named Diotrephes. And then finally, John's purpose is to commend a third Christian into Gaius' care, at least to commend him and encourage him to, to look after this brother. And so as we look at this book today, we're going to reflect, reflect briefly on these two Christians, Gaius and Diotrephes. And how they are acting very differently in the very same environment. And I do think it's important for us to note that I think both of these men are Christians. Both of these men are believers. So as we're looking at this, it can be easy to say, oh, Gaius is, yeah, he's a good Christian. And it'd be easy to say, well, Diotrephes, he's just not a Christian at all. And that's not the case. Because I think in the tale of these two Christians... If we were to look in the mirror, we could find ourselves there. And so let's begin by considering Christian number one, the hospitality of Gaius. And we see this in in 3 John verses 1 through 8. And so in these opening verses, John expresses his hope for Gaius, for his well-being, but also encourages him for his hospitality. Let's let's, uh, look at this together. John writes, the elder to to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from these Gentiles, from the Gentiles. 
Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And based on what what John is writing here, it seems evident that Gaius demonstrates a walk that talks. And let me explain what I mean by that. You see, when I was in youth group growing up in Silver Spring at the church where I attended, one of the youth leaders told me this phrase, and I want you to hear it very clearly. He said, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Did you guys get it? Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Say that ten times very fast. But the point of this simple phrase is that the things that we say, the, 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 how we live and how we speak, both communicate. Our, but our lifestyle seems to communicate louder. Our lifestyle seems to communicate in some ways more clearly than our language. I could say one thing, but if I'm going to do something else, what do people remember? Well, they remember that there's a disconnect and they're going to remember, hmm, he's not living what he says he believes. So John is encouraging Gaius here because he has received word from some brothers in Christ who stayed with Gaius and they testified about Gaius's life. They said, this man is a man of God. This man is walking in the truth. We got to see it firsthand. He says one thing and he does the same thing. That is a man of integrity. And that phrase, walking in the truth, you know, if you remember, we saw that last week in Second John. But what does it mean for us to walk in truth? If you remember last week, we talked about that truth being so much tied up, so much bound up in who Jesus is. It's bound up in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of who, who Jesus is, being fully God and being fully man is bound up in why he came to bring the kingdom of God, to teach what life in that kingdom is like, to help us understand how, how, how we should live as God's people in this kingdom, God's kingdom people in any nation in which we live. He came to be an example, to be that atoning sacrifice to, for our sins. He came to invite people to be a part of what he is doing. But that gospel not only is bound up in who Jesus is and why he came, but it's bound up in what he did. He died on the cross as the full payment for our sins and then rose from the grave, proving he had conquered the power of sin and death once and for all. And then why that matters. You see, his life and his ministry established his church And the beauty is he called out unworthy sinners like us to be his ambassadors in the world, proclaiming by word and by deed the good news of Jesus' ministry. And I think what we see is that Gaius not only had this personal faith, we like to talk about faith being, oh, it's my faith, it's private, it's between me and God. What difference does it make if our faith is personal if it's not lived out. We saw that a few weeks ago when we looked in the book of James. James chapter 2 verses 14 to 17 says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, 
without giving him the things needed for the body. What good is that? And so faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So what we have to realize is that our faith speaks. It speaks in our words. We can talk with love and compassion. We can talk with grace and mercy. But we have to recognize our faith also speaks through our actions. So I have a a question for us. If, If we were the only Christian that some people ever met, if you were walking around Wayland Commons and, 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 and someone ran into you and you began to have this conversation, or they began to observe your life, if, if you or I were the only Christian that they met, what is the reputation they would see? What is the reputation we are leaving for Christ? Would they go away? Commending, Oh, man, you got to meet this person, he or she. They're walking in the truth. They're walking in this hope, in this light, in this love. But collectively, I wonder, what is the reputation our church is leaving for Christ in Poolsville? I hope that people would see Jesus in us, in all that we do corporately, in, in art camp, in the food that we give away, in this service this weekend, in, the, in what we do at Poolsville Day, in all of these things, that they would say, hey, that is a church that is living what they say believe, they believe. When I look at those people, I think, man, I want to be like them because they are trying to be like Jesus. And so Gaius, he walked in the truth. And what that meant is that his walk resulted in hospitality. You know, we don't really get to understand the full details of what's happening, but it seems like there were some men who were visiting various regions. and, And they happened to get to where Gaius lived and where he attended church and Some commentators have suggested that these were sort of traveling teachers. They may have been sent out by John. They might have just been people that John knew and and ran into. But I think it's important for us to recognize that where, if you remember the Apostle Paul, he's known as being a tent maker because when he would travel around, he didn't want to accept an offering from anybody. He would build tents and he would provide his own way. And and as often as he could, he, he did not want to be a financial burden to anyone. But these guys, it seemed like their ministry was different. God had called them to something different. And so these people were traveling around and they were depending on the hospitality and generosity of others. They were truly trusting God to provide for their needs through the generosity of the church. Of believers and one of them being Gaius. And so Gaius appeared to open his home to these strangers. I mean, think about this. He, he would have never, he might have not have ever known who these people were. But they were brothers in Christ. And I got to tell you, showing hospitality isn't always easy, is it? You get into your own routines, right? I have, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. I get up early in the morning. I, I let the dog out and give her a little treat and put her back in. And then I go for a walk early, early in the morning. And then I sit down and I read and I pray and it's just, I'm stuck. I mean, it's my rut. But when you have guests, when you have people over, sometimes those patterns, those rhythms get messed up. 
Sometimes it's inconvenient. You have to displace one person in, from one room in order to give that room to someone else. Or you have to go through all the effort of putting up an extra bed. And think about this. Look at the homes that we live in. Look at the homes that we reside in. I would dare say that the, the shed that I have behind my house is as big as Gaius's house. His entire house. It's about a, I don't know, Carl, how big is that shed? He, he lifted it for me. It's about 15 feet long by maybe 12 feet wide. It's a good sized shed. But think about this. This man, Gaius, is offering hospitality when that's his residence. What can we do with the blessings that God has given us? What can we do with that spare room? Or that spare room that's not... Are we ready? Are we willing? If God were to say, hey, I have someone I need you to put up for a bit. Now, I've got to tell you, one of the things I was studying... As I was reading, someone pointed out that there was an early document, second century document from a lot of the church leaders. And, and they had very specific things. It was really interesting because Middle Eastern um, culture is a very hospitable culture. You would go around and travel from one place to another. In fact, we got to see this when we were in Jordan. People would go from one place to another on, at, you know, in the evening, 6, 7 o'clock at night. And they would just have tea or coffee together. Sometimes it was expected that you would be willing to host someone in your home for a time. Well, one of the things that happened in the early church, people began to take advantage of that. So some of the early church fathers wrote down, they said, if someone stays with you one night, they're a man or woman of God. If someone stays with you two nights, well, they're probably there, but they're pushing it. If they stay with you three nights, they are a false teacher. You need to kick them out. They didn't say it exactly like that. But the whole point is they were wanting to protect people from being overly hospitable. I wonder if we might need to make sure that we're able to go the other way. If someone needs a place, am I willing to say, hey, come on. I've got this office. I've got a blow-up bed. It might not be the most comfortable, but it's yours as long as you need it. So we see Gaius living out his faith by welcoming these brothers, helping them see the life, the faith that I say I have, I'm going to demonstrate as I show you grace. But in our tale of two Christians, next we get to come to Christian number two, and that is the pride of Diotrephes. You see, after encouraging Gaius with the words that we've seen he provides some insight into some other things that have transpired. And, and look at what it says in verses 8 and 9. John writes, I have written something to the church by Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. And so also, and also stops those who want to. And puts, puts them out of the church. So there's a few things I think we can notice about Diotrephes here. First of all, Diotrephes is, is motivated by selfishness. John notes that he wants to put himself first. It's all about me. It's all about him. And we have no way of knowing what his role was in the church 
But somehow he got into a position of a little bit of authority and began to realize, hey, this power, this authority is pretty sweet. And I'm going to make the most of this. He seemed to be putting himself between John and the church. But not only was he selfish, he also silenced godly voices. You see, somehow Diotrephes intercepted a letter that John wrote and then prevented the church from benefiting from it. And it's as though he was threatened by the authority of John and refused to allow John's voice to be heard in that congregation. But third, he also maligned John and the others publicly, essentially gossiping about them. He's, he's making up falsehoods about John and the other apostles and, and some of the other guys that John was working with. And he also refused to practice hospitality and then told other people, don't you do that. And if you do that, I'm going to kick you out of the church. He was doing the exact opposite of what John was encouraging Gaius in. See, it seems like Diotrephes was clearly threatened by something. He wouldn't allow certain people to speak into the church. Now, I've got to tell you, it's easy to look at Diotrephes and think, oh, that's not me. I wouldn't act like that. But in reality, I think it could be any of us. One commentator noted that he observed in a church a Diotrephes who, who worked vehemently to get the pastor expelled. He said that in another church he saw someone like Diotrephes actually cause the church to split. I had a, a lunch with an old friend of mine and he said that that was one of the things that he saw so often in, in the Hispanic churches that he had grown up in. Especially here in America, they, 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 certain people would want their platform and then they'd figure out, oh, I don't like this about that guy. I don't like how he's, I don't like his style. So I'm going to yank a bunch of people away. And unfortunately, I have to tell you, I think I spent a brief season as a diatrophies. I prevented certain voices from being being heard, I excluded certain people from some activities because I knew I was threatened. It wasn't here, it was somewhere else. But I was threatened by the authority of others. I wanted to protect what I thought was mine. And I'm grateful that I was corrected in that because I was wrong. It was not about substance. It was all over style and preference. And so I want to just encourage us, where are those places where we're tempted to be diatrophies? Where are those places where we're tempted to take what little control or power we might think we have and wield it in an unhealthy way? One thing we have to be careful about is that there's a difference between guarding the church from doctrinal error or sin and guarding the church from godly voices because of pride. You see, one of the roles of an elder is to protect, to guard the church. But even that, in, even in that guarding, it, it, 
It expects some sort of conversation. It expects some sort of inquiry. It expects some sort of engagement. If you remember, one of the elements of Second John was the fact that there were people who were traveling around, who were teaching doctrinal error, and John said, do not welcome those people because the truth had been uncovered about them. But these other people were being excluded and they were godly biblical Christians. John encouraged the church to exclude those people because their error had been clearly identified. And those who were teaching demonstrated an unwillingness to repent and come around to biblical orthodoxy. But I think it's important for us to recognize we all have our own opinions. We all have our own preferences. And if we're not careful, those opinions and preferences can cause divisions in unhealthy ways. I've heard sad stories about churches that split over the color of carpet. The color of paint on the wall. And I think it's important for us to ask, is this, whatever this issue is, a hill worth dying on? And I think that people who act in the way that Diotrephes acted are choosing a poor hill on which to die. I chose a poor hill in the past on which to die. But then John concludes his letter with some advice and and an application for Gaius. Look at what it says in verses 11 to 15. It says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, not to be confused with Diotrephes, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth Itself, We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you, and greet the friends each by name. And so as he concludes this letter, John uh, gives... Gaius and an immediate admonition to avoid imitating the evil actions of other people. And I think he's talking specifically about diatrophies. He's saying, don't follow what he's doing. And diatrophies may have been a charismatic leader. He may have been a good teacher, but it's clear that his motives were misplaced. And so we must be willing to follow people who demonstrate a purity of intention and motives. And beyond providing that advice, John seems to commend Demetrius. You know, it's possible that this guy Demetrius was the courier of this letter. And so John is saying, hey, why don't you welcome him in? He's a good man. He's a man who is is worthy of your hospitality. But as we close, I think it's important for us to consider a couple things. Where do we need to act with the kingdom-minded hospitality of Gaius. Where do we need to act with that kingdom-minded hospitality? Is there something that we need to do? And this is something that's been on my heart off and on over the last several months. 
now that we're beginning to reopen, we can do more things together, who do I need to say, hey, why don't you come have a meal with us? Let's get to know each other a bit. We're still obviously new to town, and so we're still getting to know neighbors. But who might God be laying on your heart or my heart to say, hey, brother, sister in Christ, let's get a meal together. How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Where do we uh, need to be willing to allow for what we may feel is our personal inconvenience to be an opportunity for an investment in others? Like I said, hospitality is inconvenient. And yet, it's a beautiful example of what Christ has done for us. But I think it's important that we also ask, where are we tempted to act with selfishness? Where are we tempted to make up our own little kingdom inside the kingdom of God? Where are we tempted to silence and rather than engage because of our pride? Where are we following ungodly examples? As we close, I want to just encourage us maybe to take a few moments of silent prayer just to pray and repent. Repent for those times when The Spirit of God has said, hey, I need you to do something in this person's life. And we've rejected that. Repent when we've tried to prop ourselves up rather than encouraging the body. Let's pray silently for a few moments and then in in just a moment I'll close this out. Father, as we reflect on this short letter, we come to the recognition that this tale of two Christians is in us. God, I know that it's in me. Lord, help us to act toward others in the way that you would have us act. Forgive us. Forgive me when I have ignored that prompting of your spirit. when I have closed the door of my house, the house that you have blessed me with, when I have excluded from fellowship around the table that you have allowed us to have, those that you're calling us to minister to. Father, we need your wisdom Spirit, we need your guidance. Help us to honor you as we seek to walk in the truth. We ask this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.